Welcome to the KBB From the Tap podcast. I'm Managing Editor Leslie Claggett, and this week I'm happy to talk with Susan Winterstein, CEO and Creative Director of Savvy Interiors, a design-directed remodeling and build firm in Solana Beach, California. Susan founded Savvy Interiors in 2002, and in 2014 expanded her commitment to making a positive impact through design by establishing Savvy Giving by Design, a nonprofit organization dedicated to redesigning spaces for children facing medical crises. Be sure to subscribe to KBB's YouTube channel and click the like button on our videos. You can also subscribe to KBB's From the Tap podcast on such apps as Apple, Spotify, Pandora, and Google Podcasts. And please feel free to leave a review. Today, we're going to discuss the relationship between design and philanthropy. Welcome, Susan, and thank you for joining me. Thank you so much. I really appreciate being here and being able to share some of these stories. Great. And we really want to hear those stories. Um, Why don't we start at the beginning? Could you please tell us about the genesis of Savvy Giving by Design? What led you to start the organization and what is its mission? Yeah, I've always been somewhat philanthropy-minded throughout my youth and uh, young adulthood, being involved in different causes, and they were never really overall design-related, but I always felt tremendous value in trying to have an impact on life, and I think in interior design, uh, we're all kind of a collection of people-pleasers, and we want we we understand and see the impact that good design can have on someone. In 2014, I was uh, not planning on starting a nonprofit. I had a friend of a friend reach out asking to post a meal train um, announcement on one of my Facebook community pages um, that I had started. And and as she did that, um, I said, I don't cook. So I don't know if I can help you with the meal train, but if there's anything I can do, um, the friend of the friend's daughter had been diagnosed with cancer. And I said, if there's anything I can do to help um, local community member, like maybe redo her room, I don't know, you know, if she even needed a room. And she says, well, let me ask. And she came back and said, okay, she said, yes, that she'd love to, you know, explore and and meet with you and see what that means. So I had a chance to talk to some of our subcontractors as we're general contractors here in Solana Beach and, and say, hey, would you be willing to donate flooring? And, you know, I'm going to meet with the family. Is there anything we can do? And as I met with her, I think I was more nervous meeting with her. She was in eighth grade at the time. And and I was so nervous going to her home and and um, talking because I wanted to please her. I wanted to just make it fantastical. You know, I wanted to do say yes to everything she asked. And when I met with her um, and she asked for one of those big ceilings with the fabric that all go up in the center. And I thought, oh, that's fantastic. But then I started to worry as a designer, like, oh, we've got dust and allergens. And how are you going to clean it? And you're going through chemo. And is this practical? And what? And all of these thoughts started going through my head as a designer of, I need to be really mindful of all of the materials that I'm putting in this space and how it's going to function for her. And so I need to understand and be in her head and understand like medically what she's going to be going through, physically what she's going to be going through, and how is the room going to relate to all of those needs. And as I went through and installed the room and we revealed it um, at the end, the impact that it had on the family, and we wound up doing the siblings room as well, like a modified kind of a makeover, because we couldn't leave her room not untouched, you know, we had to kind of make it fair or equal or whatever, just give her a little bit of attention, considering all this attention was on the primary child. 
And I was just hooked. And I think for the first year, I just, I didn't really want to be a nonprofit. It just felt like it was overwhelming and a lot of work and a lot of rules. And I'm like, I just, I don't need to be a nonprofit. I've got a community that's going to support me in doing this financially. I'm just going to go do rooms. And it wasn't until about a year later that one of my clients who was an attorney said, I think that we need to make this more official so that you can collect money in a different way, more officially. And so she helped uh, put all of our bylaws together and submit all of our paperwork. And we became an official 501c3. And I was just wanting to have that type of an impact on families that wouldn't ordinarily be uh, have that, those services accessible to explain to them how this was going to help in her healing process. And knowing the impact that it had that following year when she was going through 42 rounds of chemotherapy and another six weeks of radiation, it was um, incredible to know that some of those choices had an impact on her overall mood, her um, ability to fight, to create new memories, to have a new space, to have comfort, um, to have uh, a space to call her own, a sanctuary of sorts when she was confined to the house so much. This was pre-COVID, um, you know, seven, eight years ago. So it really did solidify my commitment to staying involved in that in that endeavor. And uh, I know part of the process of filing for 501c3s is you have to have a very clear mission statement. Correct. Uh, what is your mission statement? Uh, it really is to provide uh, a comfort healing space for a child facing a medical crisis. So not terminal, not just cancer. It can be uh, some type of crisis where the room or the space will have an impact on their healing. Uh, it will have an impact on their family. It will have an impact on their day-to-day -day living. And so really uh, the children that we are able to help are the ones that were, um, like I said, in some sort of a crisis and this, where the space can, you know, I, there have been studies that say it contributes up to 30% of a cure. Uh, so really the, our environment um, plays uh, so many psychological and physical benefits um, to our mental well-being and uh, safety. So you know, even studies where they've found that rooms that are redone, that are pleasing, that have function to them with seating and things like that, family members and support systems will come and often stay longer and spend more time with someone if they have a place to sit, if it's comfortable, if it's pleasing, if they do, if they feel like it's conducive to them being there, they will hang out a little bit longer, which improves the mood of that primary child or that patient or memories or traumatic memories. And, um, uh, you know, the um, when you're sick and you see pictures of all of your friends playing soccer and you can't play soccer anymore in your room and you're constantly have this reminder that all of your pictures and friends are playing soccer and you're not to remove those and replace them with something that's inspirational of like a, a photo of where you want to get to in this new normal. Um, Cause you will never be able to go back once you've been, you've gone through this crisis, but how are you rebuilding something new and creating some new fresh memories around what's going on that are, are really comfortable and bring you peace. Uh, you are getting to a point that I would really like to discuss with you. Um, it, you're referencing the role of storytelling in interior Correct. design, uh, mm -hmm. highlighting the stories behind the design choices and how they connect with your mission or your client's mission. I don't know if you call them clients or not. Not really. Call them uh, my kid, my kids. Um, <laughs> your kids. So, my kids. Um, Can you elaborate on the storytelling? Yeah. So I think that storytelling and understanding the selections and the design 
design process is important, not only just for the nonprofit side, but also for uh, interior design in general. And it's one of the things I drive home with my young designers that come to work with me is that um, I'm going to get a t-shirt that says it's the why, not the what. Don't tell me what you designed. Don't tell me. I know baseline is that I hired you because you're a designer. You've gone to school for it. You know how things look good together. I want to know why you selected that chair or that bed or that flooring surface. I want to know the why behind it. So tell me a story of why, because if I understand the why and it's logical and it serves not only a function, but it looks aesthetically pleasing, then you've sold me on the whole package because that really the understanding of the why is the story. It's the story behind the selection. So with children, I want to know the why. Why am I selecting this side table that has rounded corners for a three-year-old that might roll over in bed and bump their head and we have to mitigate any cuts or anything that are going to cause an infection when their immune systems are low? Um, or maybe I want to put solid surface flooring into their rooms because a carpet might produce more allergens um, and not be able to, um, they, that they might not be able to fight off uh, when they're going, when their uh, immune systems are low, or likewise, maybe they have such bone pain that I want to put in extra padding or extra carpet because walking across that soft surface is going to be more comfortable for them um, than having a hard surface. So all every single decision that we make, both for our interior design clients and our children is related to how did they live in the space? How is the space intended to function? And how is it serving um, both, both sets of aesthetics and function in that space? And sometimes you pick it just because it's pretty and you need that pretty object. But oftentimes there's a reason or a tie-in or a um, thought or a story that goes around. I selected this recycled glass chandelier because it reminded me of the trip that you said that you took and how much you loved all of the artisan glass. And I thought it would be really beautiful in there with this soft gold because it contrasts nicely with this other cabinet. And each piece plays off the other and how they all relate and tell an overall story of the information I gathered from you during discovery. So really all of it plays a part. It's, there are a lot of designers that can put together a pretty space and a lot of them that aren't very functional or practical given the story of that particular person, client or child. So it's really important to me that I understand the why behind the what and the selections that we make. And I'm able to articulate that to our clients and our kids. Wow. that it, it, It's so much more than just buying, you know, a, a Disney branded wallpaper. Yes, 100%. You, yeah, yeah. You're, obviously you're getting deep into what is meaningful to these children and their families. Yes, yes. Uh, is this part of what you mean by the concept of giving by design? Uh, could you tell us what giving by design means to you and to the individuals and communities you partner with? Yeah, I think, you know, when the name of the nonprofits being Savvy Giving by Design, it was an opportunity to take a philanthropy. Um, oh, there's so many different layers to it. I mean, I think um, giving back in a way that impacts families that may not have resources or accessibility to services like professional interior design um, gives you a different perspective in a lot of ways of how your services and your talent and your ability to do di different things has an impact on another family when it's not about 
it's not about the money that you make. It's not about how wealthy a client is, or it just, it's strictly around the impact. And so partnering with local companies that support design becomes a win-win opportunity for cause marketing, uh, for larger companies to support a design-related charity. I believe we're the only national design-related charity that's consistent. We have 15 chapters across the country and with other designers operating under our bylaws and our names in different areas. And it allows a company, um, larger company, to look across the board and say, not only are we getting in front of designers, but we're getting in front of the local community and having an impact on local families. So it primes the uh, primes the pump, if you will, for larger businesses to get involved that are design related to get involved with this nonprofit. Um, this September, uh, Perch, uh, an appliance um, store is hosting a golf tournament that will benefit Savvy Giving by Design, inviting designers and builders to come participate, partnered with their vendors uh, that uh, you know they use to sell appliances. So it's kind of a circular way of community and giving back and partnering and then having an impact on your local community that, that doesn't segment the population into the haves, the have nots or the, this or the, that, I mean, they're all, you know, across the board, all income levels, all, you know, um, uh, races, uh, there's just, there's no, um, pre-qualifiers that oftentimes you find in interior design being a more luxury service. Right. Absolutely. Um, you mentioned the golf tournament. Uh, mm -hmm. I know it's important for nonprofit ventures to keep their good works front and center. Yes. Are there other ways that you have showcased your successful collaborations uh, at Savvy Giving by Design and its beneficiaries? Uh, yeah, we do have a very active social media, both um, in on Instagram and Facebook, and we run a lot of different Facebook community pages. So we have community um, members, uh, we call them our savvy, our silent army of savvy givers. And we do, for instance, on our uh, Facebook page, when we do a space, we do what's called fund needs. And we'll often um, put up links to items that we will use in children's rooms that they can purchase um, on our behalf and send to us directly that allows us to place them in, in different rooms. So hangers and sheets and pillows and blankets and artwork and uh, all of the things that go into a room, instead of just raising funds for those things, we give opportunities for people to contribute with material goods and being able to purchase something on our behalf and send it to us uh, to use in the spaces. So that helps keep community members engaged. Um, we do have events, um, you know, across the country, different golf events, pickleball tournaments, um, different things like that that benefit us and allow us to share the story. Um, in each of the golf carts, they'll get like a laminated card with a child's story in the before and after so we can introduce them and do like a lot of um, friend raising, right, of, of making more awareness out there um, across different platforms and different communities to have them involved as well. So I think there are a lot of, of those types of opportunities to continue to have increased exposure. We're working with a young man right now who's uh, going uh, into his first year of high school, it's a four-year program where they uh, basically give them a scholarship of monies to develop a program with a nonprofit or develop a whole nonprofit 
um, to give back to the community. And they have to go through the whole process of building proposals and marketing and the plan. And so we're working with a young man right now who's in the very beginning of that process, who will be able to bring in his community members and his circle of influence to develop a program under our umbrella called um, the Go to Your Room Box, which is intended um, as a comfort box to go out to kids where we can't do their whole room because they're either out of our area and we don't have a designer to service that area, or uh, we want to send it in a remote area where maybe they don't have access to the same services that we do here. Um, and so as we develop that program, it allows us to connect with our community members to kind of create a win-win situation where in lieu of doing a whole room, which we still do, can he develop and launch this program over the next couple of years to send them a go to your room box, which is a play on words of something that's supposed to be negative, go to your room, has become kind of a positive in this community of like everybody wants to go to their room because it's so beautiful and peaceful. And so we're trying to find ways of engaging different volunteer groups to put these boxes together and businesses that want to come help put these boxes together and get them shipped out to some of our recipients. It's fantastic. And I love your friend raising terminology. Yes. Yes. That that is so wonderful. Mm. Um I I don't want to end this conversation, but we have <laughs> to wrap it up. Um no could you maybe share an example of an individual whose life has been transformed by savvy giving by design? Gosh, there's so many, you know, we've probably impacted over 100 kids at this point. And I think there's so many unique and individual stories that I could go on for hours. I think one of the stories that has always been close to my heart was a young girl, Kimmy, who um, was being raised by a single dad who had neuroblastoma from the age of four. And I met Kimmy when she was probably about nine, I believe, and she had relapsed. And she really wanted a loft bed. And so we did her whole room and got her a loft bed and she wanted Harry Potter meets Star Trek. So we did a whole room of Harry Potter meets Star Trek. And she's got such a personality and she's just such a lovely young girl. And as time went on and she was about 11 to 12 years old, uh, the cancer had come back and was more aggressive and the tumors had grown into her spine and she lost the ability to walk. And it was, um, she was going to go into palliative care at this point. And uh, when the neurologists told her in the hospital that she wouldn't be able to walk up the stairs to the apartment and walk up to her loft bed to sleep at night, her first reaction was to look at her dad. And she says, do you think Miss Susan will do another room for me? And my heart sank. And when Peter called me and asked, I was like, oh, well, of course, I burst into tears. Of course, I'll do another room. And so we soon after that did another room where we focused on a bed that could raise and lower her head that she could control by remote. And we did blinds that she could open and close herself to get room darken, uh, darkening shades in there. And we lowered all of the shelves in the closet so she could use her wheelchair to get all of the clothes in and out of her closet. We tried to make the room as independent for her as possible for the time that she had left. Upon her passing, about a year or two later, Peter reached out this past year and said, um, I want to rehome her dresser and her bed. I'm moving into a smaller apartment. Do you know anybody that can use it? And I had another child from about six years ago who's now an adult who's 22, 23 years old and is went into hospice. Um, and her cancer had come back and she was uh, going into hospice care. And I reached out to her mom and I said, I have. Kimmy's, I have a movable 
flexible bed. Do you think that Lauren would benefit from having it? And she said, this is perfect timing because the bed we borrowed, they need it back. And I was just thinking how I was going to get another bed in there. So we were able to take this space um, that Kimmy spent her final moments in and give it to Lauren, this source of comfort and a Tempur-Pedic mattress. And we got all these really soft blankets and texture and color and just tried to give her as much comfort and for her and her family. So all of these stories kind of weave together and they all interrelate, but the impact that both spaces had on Kimmy and on Peter and the reflection that he does with some of the things that we purchased for her that are, will always be special to him. I mean, those stories like are abundant. Um, I could tell you a dozen more very similar types of stories, but those I think have really had an impact both on Kimmy, but they continue to have an impact on the community in general. And not all of our children um, are terminal, obviously. Many, many of them survive and go on to live long, healthy. Um, the impact that each of these spaces have are very individual to each family and their needs. Well, Susan, this has been an absolutely inspirational conversation. Oh, thank you. Um, Thank you. Thank you for the work you do and for the for sharing it with our audience on today's KBB from the tap. Thank you. Be sure to subscribe to KBB's YouTube channel and click the like button on our videos. You can also subscribe to KBB's from the tap podcast on such apps as Apple, Spotify, Pandora, and Google Podcasts. And please feel free to leave a review.